I'm Larry Bishop, and you're listening to the World is Wrong podcast. We're here to tell you how the world is wrong. The world is wrong about in the cut. Do with the you got to do with the New York accent. New York in, accent. In the cut. Like, in the cut. You do it. In the cut. In the cut. How about that. Okay. <laughs> hey, welcome to the World is Wrong. An extremely positive podcast where we celebrate films and film artists the world is wrong about. I am one of your hosts, and my name is Andras Jones. And I'm the other host, and my name is Brian Connolly. Oh, oh. boy, you sure are. <laughs> We're here to talk about Jane Campion's most popular film. <laughs> In the cut. Yeah. You selected this film. I did. Because the material discussed last week in Good Luck, Miss Wyckoff, there just wasn't enough of that. You wanted to, <laughs> to have a, continue the difficult conversations <laughs> about women we don't understand. Yeah. And it didn't, like, the last movie didn't have enough, you know, body parts in a dryer. So. <laughs> Yeah, this film definitely has that. This movie is a little gross, uh, and uh, I'm excited to talk about it. I, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I'm a big fan. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, in preparation for this, I can't say I've seen them all, but I have uh, increased my Jane Campion awareness significantly. I've watched about three, three or four more of her films that I hadn't already seen since, uh, since I knew this was on the docket. So it's going to be an exciting conversation about In the Cut and Jane Campion in general. So let's yeah. listen to a clip from the film and then come back and talk about it. There might be spoilers. There might be spoilers. There might be spoilers. I've been wondering about you. Yeah, don't. I want to know. Know what? How you did that to me. Somebody taught you. Who was that? Get the fuck out of here. You can tell me. An older woman. Hmm. Older woman, huh? Chicken lady. The chicken lady. No, you know her? When I was 15, I was delivering chickens for a uh, butcher, the housewives, for a bucket of chicken. The first time I show up there, it was fucking hot. And uh, she, I came to the door, she offered me a glass of water. So we're in the kitchen talking about the weather or some shit, and she just reaches out, she grabs a hold of my joint. She asked me, does that feel good? I said, yeah. And she asked me, you ever been with a woman? And I said, yeah, uh, no. So she takes me into the bedroom. She takes her clothes off, and she's real womanly. I mean, she's got pubic hair from here to here. It's black and curly like the Spanish girls. And I want to get the fuck out of there. So she grabs me and says, uh, have you ever kissed a girl down there? I said, no. So she wets her fingers. 
just suffering and soft. It touches a clip, tells me to lick there. Tells me to put my tongue there, take my time, lick in a slow circle. And after a while she came. Yeah, this movie's dirty. <laughs> dirty? <laughs> Sexy. Sexy. Erotic. Erotic. Neurotic. Uh, so, you know, basic plot of it, but I don't want to give away too much. And we, I mean, we will as we talk We're, about it. Yeah. So spoilers, this is a thriller. So there's twists and turns. It's a murder mystery. Um, so watch the movie before you, before you listen to this. So, the movie is about Franny Avery, played by Meg Ryan. She is a school teacher. Uh, she's also a writer. She's working on a book on slang. Is that right? It seems that's, I've seen, that seems like what she's doing. And she's meeting with one of her students named Cornelius, uh, a black student, played by, I'm going to say this name totally wrong, Sharif Pugh. Does that seem right? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realize that this that I, I when I watched it, but that's also this is sort of the plot of the film Ball of Fire, Barbara Stanwyck and Gary Cooper. She's working. Uh, he Gary Cooper is working on a book of slang, huh. and Barbara Stanwyck is the is the sort of guinea pig who has all the the lingo, the hipster lingo. So I hadn't even thought about that. But you know, <laughs> here we have Jane Campion subverting Billy Wilder. Anyway, go on. Uh, and and her student is obsessed with John Wayne Gacy, and it's interesting that it's revealed that it's a student at a high school, I think, because their relationship is a little flirty. It feels kind of inappropriate. She's meeting him at a bar, <clears throat> but she's working on this book. Meanwhile, we find out she is uh, really close to her half sister Pauline, played by Jennifer Jason Lee, who lives above a CD kind of. Little strip club, like a little tiny hole in the wall strip club. Uh, meanwhile, she has to deal with her crazy, unstable ex boyfriend, played by Kevin Bacon. Not even an ex boyfriend. They went on a few dates. She called it off. He's clearly not interested in having it be over. And so she's kind of having to dodge him and out of coffee shops and stuff while she's just trying to have breakfast. But that's the least of her problems. There is a serial killer amongst amongst her in her building, beheading people. Uh, what's the detective say? He has a word for it. Like he, it's it's a weird word that I've never heard before. The way he describes it as a beheading, it's sort of like d, not not discombobulated, but <laughs> not decapitated. Not decapitated. Uh, but uh, <laughs> and then the detective on the case is Detective Giovanni Malloy, played by. The great Mark Ruffalo being very New York, very East Coasty. Uh, he's like he could be right out of NYPD Blue in this movie. Uh, and as he's trying to solve this case, and as she's sort of like being haunted by these these uh, these, this, these these feelings, these feelings of terror, uh, 
there's also a relationship, a really intense uh, relationship, a very sexual relationship that forms between the detective and Franny. Um, some dirty talk, some role playing, a little bit of S and M. Uh, it's very intense. The movie does not shy away from showing you how intense uh, these these scenes are. This is a, a sexually graphic movie. I think you, like me, also watched the unrated version, which would be considered an X-rated movie. And uh, the plot goes along. There's uh, I would probably a very disappointing <laughs> X-rated movie. To not those not who are... not a useful one if if you catch yeah. my drift. Um, but it's. Uh, Things get complicated. Emotion is already the, the relationship between Malloy and Franny is a complex sort of relationship. Uh, and it gets more complex as the mystery slowly unfolds and as paranoia builds within the character of Franny where she doesn't know who the killer is. Is it the Gacy-obsessed student? Is it the unstable ex? Is it the intense sexual cop or somebody else? Uh, this is Jane Campion's uh, take I feel like on the erotic thriller, this is definitely in that world of like a basic instinct or like all those 90s erotic thrillers, but done very differently because unlike those movies, this has a very kind of feminist uh, slant to it based on the novel by Susanna Moore, who also wrote the screenplay with Jane Campion. And uh, yeah, that's sort of the basic plot. There's more to it. We'll get into it. Uh, also worth mentioning, Patrice O'Neill is in this movie and one of the few dramatic kind of dramatic performance or in a, a movie that is dramatic that he is in uh r.i.p okay uh well well brian do you want to tell us how the world is wrong about this uh this this film in the cut yeah um and and similar to jennifer's body which we covered last year and you can certainly find that episode this was a movie when it came out that really confused people was really hated by people People found this movie disgusting. They thought it was gross. It had, at the time, one of the lowest scores of an audience ever. Like, they did a test screening and it got, like, an F. <laughs> I think these were people going to see the new Meg Ryan movie and not expecting to get this Meg Ryan movie. Uh, so it was very hated uh, for a long time. And only until really, 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 really recently have people begun to slowly kind of uncover how great this movie is and we're 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 part of that for sure and uh, and it's weird at the time that no one liked it because gene campion has always had a very unique point of view a very unique perspective and this certainly isn't her first disturbing film look at we'll talk more about her movies but like holy smoke the piano those are also about very complicated relationships between men and women and have very complex sex in it and uh yeah so this isn't like new territory for her by any means but i think maybe the presence of of america's sweetheart meg ryan threw people off originally this was supposed to star nicole kidman she had to bow out because she was dealing with her divorce from tom cruise and she's still on board as a producer um and maybe it would have been more uh easier for people to handle with her in it because she was already in kind of complicated movies like this whereas meg ryan only before this, I think you had a, When a Man Loves a Woman was the only other kind of her doing like a straight drama, not like some dumb thing with her and Tom Hanks. So I think that's why the world is wrong. Was this before or after Hurley Burley? Oh, I want to say it was after. So that, I guess, was or around this time, wasn't it? Or was that late 90s? Oh, yeah. No, yeah. That's uh, that's 98. Yeah. 
I don't remember that movie at all. I know I've seen it. Is that her doing a dramatic performance? Very much, very much so. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I always thought this was a Nicole Kidman film, but <laughs> I, having really given it my attention, I'm much happier that it's a Meg Ryan film because we don't have many Meg Ryan. It, it is it, it is very much a Nicole Kidman kind of yeah. performance. And we already yeah. have a Nicole Kidman Jane Campion performance and Portrait of a Lady. Yeah. And we don't have many uh, characterizations like this from Meg Ryan. And uh, yeah, no, the acting in this in this film is pretty, pretty great. Seeing these three actors in this at this point in their careers, giving these performances that alone, you know, and knowing that they're dealt with, you know, with. The sure hand that Jane Campion brings is that that's enough to make it worth people's attention. Um, yeah. And it's interesting because I feel this was sort of like the end of a big wave of Meg Ryan, but the beginning of a big wave for Mark Ruffalo. Like they're kind of at different, they're at a crossroads of their careers at a different places. Like this is when Mark Ruffalo is about to be in a lot of really good stuff. Like this is right around the time of Zodiac, a few years before Zodiac. Uh, before he's the Incredible Hulk, like we're like Mark Ruffalo is about to become like another great actor that we know about. I think when this movie first came out, not a lot of people knew who he was. And this, my this is definitely going to be one of my favorite. Right now, it's one of my favorite Mark Ruffalo performances. He is, he's definitely changing up his rhythm. It's a, it's a, uh, from an acting standpoint. It's a very conflicting and difficult role to pull off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's, the same could be said of his mustache. And <laughs> and I, yeah, as, as you know, as someone who takes the the uh, who considers the the terrain of a man's upper lip to be sovereign ground, <laughs> in, uh, in the words of the our dear departed Mordecai. Uh, <laughs> Why is he departed? I don't think we're getting any more Mordecai films. I'm just <laughs> I think that's what I think that was it. Uh, no, uh, Mark Ruffalo is is channeling like hustle era Burt Reynolds. Uh, like it's <laughs> it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. Uh, well, and it's just it's such a it's such a believable character as complicated as his character is. Uh, and he's a very complex character. It just feels so lived in. Like the moment he shows up, like you just get like this character is like, so, like the and the way he, like the more information about him as his personality unfolds and the way he has his moods and just carries himself. It feels so real. Like it's a, it's an amazing, I think it's an amazing performance. And it's one that if this movie wasn't so, shunned at the time it could have gotten him some awards or something because it's he's so good here like top of the game yeah. for him it's a very because it's it. it's a very i i consider it to be a very unlikable character and his it's really just the mark ruffalo charisma underneath it that i think yeah sells it but he is yeah. giving a very like an unapologetic uh, sort of just a guy that you on paper do it's you can't like this guy he's not a likable guy he's he says really <laughs> shitty things he's 
he behaves in stupid ways. Uh, he's, you know, abu- weirdly abusive to our, like, in some ways, cinematically, justifiably abusive to our heroine, but in other ways, just mystifyingly uh, dense. Like, there's a scene when... <laughs> we're going to start spoiling it now, so just really, you should watch yeah, the movie. Yeah, let's spoil it uh, now. So yeah. there's a scene when, after... Jennifer Jason Lee has been killed by uh, this serial killer who's going around and she's uh, Meg Ryan's in the police station with Mark Ruffalo and she asks him if he killed her and he's like, get the fuck out of here. Get her the fuck out of here. And it's like, You've, you're already lovers. Her sister just died and she is making a maybe crazy, even it, like, I don't care. Like, I don't care what she said. Well, I don't care what she said well, saying, get the like, you're the professional well, cop guy. And but, well, let's backtrack for a second. Not only did her friend get murdered, her friend, her her sister, si- it's her sister. sister. Half sister. She, she found she was the one who found the body. Yeah. And then she was found by Ruffalo's character cradling her sister's head, <laughs> her severed head. Like she's sitting in the bathroom, like totally yeah. in total shock. And and what my mind is like. An hour later, maybe yeah. <laughs> she's she's justifiably upset and you're kind of out of it, and him to just be kind of turning it more into like a couple squabble of just like ah, what are you doing to me? Like it's just like I think she has the right to be incredibly upset and can accuse or say whatever right now because she just went through something that most people never thankfully have to go through <laughs> like like something she'll remember for the rest of her life like a truly traumatic event. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then that leads to him describing to her how it happened. Oh, yeah. She's sort of adamant. To, so the scene gets even more like where she wants to be like, tell me what happened. Is I that, want to know. Is that like, before no, you don't. or after? She, Doesn't he tell her? I, I can't think remember. He tells it's her, it's yeah. in the same yeah, moment. He tells her before. That's a, So this is, after yeah. he's telling her this thing <laughs> that like, of course, you know, these details about that you're telling. Like, yeah. Any yeah. oh boy, like it's so funny. It's and, it's so funny. Like, because did you focus on the same thing as being like? Because there's a lot of other stuff that goes on in the movie, but something about that moment was too much for me. <laughs> well, just he because he describes in great detail this horrible murder, and then he turns it against her and was like, sort of like, why are you being a jerk to me? <laughs> and it's like. Come on, guy. And he's and the, his character is... Uh, uh, you know what? I, I was just thinking about it. Because if you're looking at this film as a subversion of the erotic thriller and turning it into... Like, turning all these tropes on their head. So if, if Mark Ruffalo is kind of... He's the dumb lady cop in another movie... Who's following around our like the person the the gumshoe or whoever we know that we have that we're like and like that he gets caught up in jealousy and protocol and misses the whole misses what's actually going on it, and even and the way the movie ends with him tied up and while she has to go off and do battle and <laughs> save the day and you can kind of see that that's the kind of frustrating thing that a poorly written female character would do in another movie, like turning this life or death thing into some jealousy 
emotional thing. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, and it's just, yeah, it's just, and they, and this is like the, one of many complicated uh, scenes between these two characters. Like there's also, I mean, every scene of them kind of being intimate is, is not an easy scene. Like there's the part where, well, because I mean, it's already inappropriate because he's basically wooing her and hitting on her while he's trying to solve this horrific murder that's also including her sister. And, <laughs> and well, like, the sister like, is until it, later. I know, a little later, but still, it's sort of like, but still, it feels like you're a like, person, a witness, supposedly, because like, that's sort of how she gets involved, is she was supposedly near where this happened. And then there's also this sort of uh, thing from the beginning where she may or may not have seen him get a blowjob from a prostitute or stripper in the basement of this bar, but you can't tell cause it's dark. And that's, and that's the scene of the most graphic sex in terms of showing stuff. It, you actually see the blowjob that's only in the unrated version. Uh, according to Jane Campion, it was a fake uh, penis, not a real penis. But uh, so there's all this. So from the get go, he's already sort of shrouded in mystery. And you already from the beginning think along with her, he could be the killer. I don't know. I don't really trust this guy. Well, yeah, yeah because they have... Uh, <laughs> by the way, we're telling this movie like it's Memento. We're working our way back from the end to the beginning. But, yeah, the the big plot point is that the guy getting the blowjob at the beginning of the movie has a tattoo. It has a tattoo and, on his hand. Uh, on his hand. And the first time that Meg Ryan's character meets Mark Ruffalo's character, she sees that uh, the um, the tattoo on his hand. Mm-hmm. And much like uh, Miss Wyckoff in the last movie, I don't. we don't get the sense that Meg Ryan's a virgin, but we do get the sense that, well, that Jennifer Jason Lee's character feels obliged to just to encourage her to do anything to get out to be with a man because she seems pretty locked up. Yeah, and she's kind of focused on her work and kind of just right. does that and doesn't really yeah. So so basically so when she sees so she has this erotic experience when she go walks down into the basement of this place in a scene that I couldn't help was as a lot reminded me a lot of the prom mm-hmm. that I was in with Jennifer Jason Lee, where that also has going down into the basement of a building and seeing <laughs> odd things in the corners of, you know, and getting yeah. sort of not being able to move. So just, just whatever. That was my weird synchronicity with it. But so she walks down and has this erotic experience as a mm-hmm. witness that she doesn't know she's a witness to a potential murderer and his soon to be victim. Yeah. And so when Mark Ruffalo shows up, she has, and the film does, I think a really good job of this, of capturing that, like it should be frustrating. She sees the thing and she should just be like, you're the murderer. Were you down in the basement getting a blowjob? Ah, but she doesn't say that. She no. sort of like <laughs> tries to play coy because she's kind of turned on as we find out by, she was turned on by that experience. So she's kind of turned on by the idea that this cop might have been that guy. And it hasn't been established that the one with the tattoo is the killer yet anyway. So as that, as information mounts about that, she goes from being sort of 
scared, turned on by this guy to being just scared of this guy, but also sort of intimately woven with him. And having watched a lot, now I watched a, a lot of Jane Campion's films just in the last week, this like getting caught up in conflicting, a conflicted relationship with a potentially dangerous broken man is a, seems to be a theme. Yeah. For, for a, con- a constant theme. Yeah. Um, and again, her character, Franny is a very complicated character and Meg Ryan does an amazing job. Like if she is again, very believable. And, and I think if anyone else, if other people did it or in other movies that have had this type of character, you want to reach into the movie and be like, snap out of it. You shouldn't be doing this. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, why aren't you telling the truth to people? Why are you hanging out with these people? But the way she does it, it's totally, you, you understand kind of her character arc. Like it's, 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 it's like she, the way she's playing sort of this, this feeling, this, this dealing with this feelings of danger is fantastic. Like, and it's totally, you totally get into it. Like it is a an erotic thriller that actually has the thrilling parts of it. It's not just cheesy. Like you actually are being like, "Ooh, this is dangerous. Oh, what is she doing? Oh, but this is kind of exciting. Oh, this is kind of titillating. Oh, this is wrong," and it's kind of playing all these feelings. And she does it really well. And I've ne- I think I've never seen her play such a real character in a movie before. Like she's always been very likable, and I've always really liked Meg Ryan. But this just feels like such a grounded character like this is definitely not the type of character that would be in a romantic comedy uh she doesn't smile a lot <laughs> in this movie <laughs> uh yeah, yeah. i mean if uh, i i think the the one who thinks they're in uh, a romantic comedy is kevin bacon's character <laughs> like hey you know wouldn't it you know wouldn't it be a great cool thing if you looked after my dog well, you're not going to look after him? Then I'm going to kill it. <laughs> and he's great, too. And I forgot he was in this movie. And he's, he is... The, this is prime yeah. Kevin Bacon. He's creepy. He's scuzzy. He's kind of a spaz. He's kind of a dweeb. Like, it's a kind of a comic relief in a strange way, but then also really disturbing and scary. Yeah, scary. And it's really com- intense. Like, yeah, bad, and just the way comedy. he keeps showing up, the way he keeps showing up and the way she is just like, oh, this fucking guy. And then there's that point where... Because, like, through the whole movie, you're like, oh, you need to get away from this guy's trouble. Like, he may be the murderer. Like, he's, like, lingering outside her heart apartment, calling her on the phone, being all pissed off. Shows Clearly, up in her apartment. Then, yeah, shows up. Bed. This shows up, and she's, like, justifiably freaked out because you, at this point, think maybe he's the one killing people. Um, He's great. He, like, it's rare that I think you get a good, like, supporting performance from Kevin Bacon. Usually he's been the lead in the last, like, 20 five years but like this was just a nice little like casting him was smart that was it's a really good idea to kind of put him sprinkle in this movie which already has great actors for this weird little part um, hey and i have a question for you did you notice this is uh maybe i watched the film many more times than you did but the coffee shop not this film but uh the film I'm about to reference the coffee shop in this where jennifer jason lee and meg ryan meet up yeah i really think it's the same coffee shop as the scene in the believer oh the one that natasha legero yeah, yeah. was in for just a second yeah i um, think that's it's, yeah i could yeah they look similar maybe this was like the Go to early aughts indie <laughs> coffee shop for your movie uh, in New York, huh? Yeah, 
How can yeah. we find this out? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, I hope there, they have whole, on the There's wall. whole sites devoted, devoted to <laughs> would, the, the places that were in movies. But. I would love it if you go to this coffee shop and they have just like stills from In the Cut and The Believer <laughs> on, the, on the wall. Be like, this is our claim to fame. That horrible murder movie and that white supremacist you know, skinhead movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Just like the owner with his arms around some skinheads <laughs> or just like a sad looking Meg Ryan and Jennifer Jason Lee. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and what's great about this movie, other than the performing, I mean, the filmmaking is so top notch and the way it's shot where it's very voyeuristic and all these shots that are kind of like blurry and some, it's just a little bit in focus or a lot of like b- lingering behind things where you're kind of getting this feeling that Meg Ryan is always being watched or is always going to have to keep her guard up, you know, that there's some guy who's, because at first you think it's the point of view of Kevin Bacon's character at the beginning, but then you realize this is just how this movie's shot. It's just shot in this sort of nerve wracking way. And uh, I really like that. I found that very effective in kind of building sort of to this idea that, you know, Meg Ryan doesn't trust any, of these guys really that she's dealing with or any men in the world in general. And why would you look at how all the men are in this movie? (laughs) They're very complicated and a little bit dangerous or very dangerous. So I really appreciated just sort of like the cinematography was, I think fantastic. And uh, yeah. Did you notice that just sort of the mood it helped build? I'm trying to think if I picked up on this before I listened to the commentary. I feel like I did, but then I listened to the commentary and Jane Campion actually said that the intention was to create the feeling that many women have and that these women, that Jennifer Jason Lee's character and Meg Ryan's character have of sort of constantly being hunted or you know seen as prey in a city like new york where there's just on every corner there's someone leering at you someone who if you caught their eye would take it as an invitation that it's just a constant hum of attention yeah right yeah Uh, i did she didn't use all those words she said it much more succinctly (laughs) but uh yeah but you totally get that you know and uh I think that that is a very, just, yeah, just a very true point of view this movie has. And I remember, I remember the first time I realized that that was a thing in reality. I was talking to, I don't even remember who, it could have been my, my wife or somebody, and just talking, I think I was talking about, like, why, because all the women I know are obsessed with murder, and they love watching, like, Dateline, and all these things about, like, husbands killing their wives or killing their girlfriends, and just, like, being obsessed with murder in some weird way and i was just like why is that and the answer was well you know we always have this fear that we're gonna get murdered you know like you brian can walk down the street in the broad daylight and feel totally safe and not even think about it but when i walk down the street i gotta like be aware and think about like every dude that's around because i just you just can't quite trust them you know (laughs) and i'm like whoa really that's heavy (laughs) and and I've heard many other women say that, and like this movie kind of taps into that uh, for sure as one of its themes. Like, uh, is that you you have to constantly have your guard up, or or just be aware that there's like 
just right over your shoulder could be some you know guy whether he's bad or not just like yeah like there's but it's just like you're gonna have to constantly kind of think about sort of the eye of men on you well yeah i mean the like the good guy in this movie is very morally compromised if mark (laughs) ruffalo you know and he he's and the movie makes it really clear we're gonna he's not gonna be a part of the solution of this film. We're going no. to completely <laughs> sideline him. And what's great is they really like to the point of literally handcuffing him to a uh, to a thing in a room where he can't be a part of the end. He can't be a part of the climax. Yeah. Like, she, you're not even watching gonna, it thinking <laughs> he's gonna go help her. No. Like the last twenty minutes of the movie, which is great, is like she goes off and deals with the situation and the whole time you're thinking like it's gonna be the trope of the dude's going to show up at the end and he's going to shoot the real bad guy or he's going to save her. And he does it because she said in a way, you don't need to do that. I'll do that. I'm going to handcuff you <laughs> to this thing. Even though she doesn't know that yet, she does it because she thinks he's the killer. But in a way that's sort of like, that's what happens is she goes off and she figures it out and she handles it herself. And then she comes back to him. <laughs> and it, it's in the end. Oh, I got a question at the, so the at the end of the movie. And now, am I wrong? Like, but it sure seems like there's a bunch of liquid on the floor. Yeah, yeah. When she comes back, is that piss? That's what I. Laying? That's what I think. That's what I thought. So he's I, laying in a puddle of his own piss, and she gets down <laughs> instead of helping him out of it. She lays down in the puddle of piss, and that's the end of the movie. <laughs> I think I could tell if that was because it was also pretty messy. And at first I was like, oh, did he like hit? Because he was like chained to, is he chained to like a pipe or something? I couldn't tell oh, yeah, if it, it was like, did radiator. he did he break the radiator maybe? And that's water from the radiator, but still couldn't unlock himself. But no, the same no, time, I don't think so. Yeah. But at the same time, the way it's positioned, it seems like it could be his urine because he has been there for a few hours and is excited. Excited. Like they worked up that he's like, that this late, his girlfriend's going to get murdered. You know, and uh, and just the end of the movie when you realize, spoiler, that he's not the murderer. Watching this movie again, just realizing sort of the when he keeps the way he is when he gives her. There's a part when he gives her a charm that was off her bracelet that was fell off when she was attacked by uh, the murderer in the street. And she thinks that he did it, and she thinks that she t- she atta- he attacked her, and he's given her the charm back, uh, you know, just to you know be creep or whatever. And then you realize, like, no, he really genuinely did find it. It was giving back. Like the whole movie, when the parts where he seems really confused and upset as to why she's accusing him of being a murderer and all this, he really was upset because he really wasn't. Um, <laughs> you kind of feel sorry for him a little, a little bit, a little bit, tiny bit. Just sort of like what he had to go through too, because you he really is trying to do the right thing in solving this crime. Just you know, he just didn't get there in time. <laughs> now let, let wait a second. Are you trying to tell me, Brian, that you didn't figure that out about like I don't know halfway through this movie that that it wasn't him? It, yeah, I assumed it was his partner at one point. But I kind of, for a while, really thought it was Kevin Bacon. <laughs> well, yeah, he's no, he's definitely the one who seems like he's committing other crimes against humanity. <laughs> but then it's like, like with all mysteries, you're like, well, that's too obvious. But it definitely, I feel like 
the first time you really do think up until the end it could be Ruffalo's character because so many of these movies like what is it Blue Steel or like Sleeping with the Enemy like those kind of 90s erotic thrillers that always is the plot of like the lady falls for the dangerous man but then it turns out he's really dangerous and then he is the killer usually 99% of the time that is how these movies turn out always that like he's he is the killer but she's already involved with him and it's already complicated and this movie doesn't do that but the relationship yeah, but, <laughs> so this is but I, this is my one this is my quibble with the film and it's to be clear it's i'm quibbling about something i don't really care about i don't think the movie i think if the movie cared about it it wouldn't have done this uh but it all hinges on this tattoo that mm-hmm. we see in shadow yeah and then it's the first thing she sees about him and she knows about the tattoo the whole time mm-hmm. And he says, I'm part of this special club. And he has a partner who <laughs> is very well established. And the idea that she wouldn't... And she has many opportunities to look at his hand and yeah. see a tattoo there, like in many different situations. And she never... The camera never looks at it and she never looks at it. But I don't believe that. <laughs> I don't believe that when she's worried about the tattoo and she hangs out with the two of them in the bar and his her but his buddy's drunk and I don't think he's wearing a jacket or like that she doesn't look at his hand. And when she's sitting with him at his desk in the in the police station and he's playing guitar with his hands in front of her <laughs> and we never they never show like we only see him when his hands are covered by it's like Austin uh, Austin Powers you know like when like there's a when there's a plant in front of it, it <laughs> the film like i just feel like that's the that's a cheat from the film that i really didn't appreciate like it yeah. just was rubbing my nose in it that like come on she's a really smart and she's totally paranoid and she's thinking everybody else is going to kill her except the one guy who was most likely to be the other one who has a tattoo, which would solve all of her problems because then it wouldn't be Mark Ruffalo. Well, and it would they... be this dirty cop who won't even, they don't even let carry a gun because he, some, because he did something bad. When a cop did something bad enough to take away his gun. You know that it means he's just a killer. <laughs> Not just a killer, an egregious killer. Not the normal cop kill, the cops that kill, but. Yeah. Um, so are you I, sa- so if it even offends the cops. <laughs> so are you saying this movie should have started with a scene of a tattoo parlor advertising free tattoo day and <laughs> all the main characters in the movie and then some just in line being like, I'll get this little tattoo. And so they start the movie with 40 people, every man in the movie, Kevin Bacon, her student, they all have this tattoo and <laughs> it. Honestly, I would have, you know what? I would have done, if I was, if I was adapting this as a screenplay, I'd be like, well, that, maybe that works in the book, but we need to change it to. Another uh, detail, like a, like like a type of. A birthmark that he couldn't have with this other guy. And, but, and, and then it it can still be the other guy. We just don't have to have them both have the same (laughs) tattoo. I would have we liked it ju- if it was just Mark Ruffalo did get the blowjob from the lady, but then the other guy killed the lady. <laughs> like, yeah. Why couldn't that also be like this it guy? It seems very on brand for the right? Mark Ruffalo character. 
And in a way, it could still have been. Like, they never fully say that it wasn't that. You know, it could be he was hanging out with his partner, he did this thing, and then the other guy showed up and did the other thing. You know, right? Like, he definitely was like, I would never I love, do it. I, I love I how you're talking like it's a Scorsese movie. <laughs> he came and did the thing, and then they went and did the other thing. You know, the things. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like, this, the sex in this movie is very intimate. And and there's moments that are just kind of yeah like strange. Um, Actually, I felt like it, that was the one part of like that was like the only area where I felt like Mark Ruffalo behaved like a human being. Yeah. Like, and in a way, yeah, there was a there was a way that he navigated intimacy with yeah. the Meg Ryan's character. That felt like, I don't know, both vi- uh, like trusting and intimate yeah. and also uh, sort of generously uh, audacious, I guess. <laughs> yeah. uh, just like being willing to be sort of what, like if Miss Y, again, and this gets into like it's kind of an unfair comparison in a lot of ways, but if Miss Wyckoff had met Mark Ruffalo's character, well, she would have wondered how she got into this time machine and when she was <laughs> and she's in New York in 2003 instead of Freedom, Kansas in 1951. But I feel like what Robert Vaughn is trying to prescribe for good for Miss Wyckoff in that film is what Mark Ruffalo is and to some degree Jennifer Jason Lee as a counsel are providing for uh is her name franny franny from meg ryan's character franny yeah i feel like there's another franny in another in the in another jane campion film i just watched is is it franny and bright star fanny braun is the okay fanny and franny and you know fanny has all kinds of yeah doesn't mean the same (laughs) like if you're one of our listeners in england you're losing your shit right now because of how many times we're saying that word. Uh, so, uh, uh, Jane Campion it, being, uh, you know, one of Australia is 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 Australia still a member of the is part is still part of the realm? Yeah, the realm. I, yeah, yeah. So okay, so she knows what she's doing. Yeah, uh, I also learned from an Australian friend that another word for vagina is map of Taz. If you say map of Taz, that means uh, vagina because they think Tasmania looks like a vagina. Okay, yeah. a little uh, <laughs> a little nappy dub, a little nappy dugout action from Rules Don't I mean, from Bullworth. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, now, uh, now we have something to. Now everyone's losing their shit. Okay. <laughs> and uh, you can tell with these sex scenes that this is a movie directed by a woman. These do not feel exploitive. These do, these aren't. These are very intimate sex scenes, and they and you can tell that that's why maybe Meg Ryan was was comfortable doing them, or maybe she wasn't comfortable, but trusted Jane Campion to do it in in a way that is not a way that a guy would have directed it. Like it's very emotional. Uh, it's not there just to kind of show the body parts. Um, they're really well done. They're really good. Um, and that was sort of the only thing people talked about when this movie first came out was like, oh my god, can you believe that? Meg Ryan's getting naked and having sex. But um, so is Ruffalo. He's taking his clothes off too. And I mean, that's really his face in Meg Ryan's bottom. Sure looks like it. 
Like that's kind of shocking to see actors be that intimate with each other in a Hollywood or yeah, in a, in a, in a big movie, you know? Um, but you know, good for them. <laughs> yeah, no, it was definitely, it's, it's, I think it was equal opportunity <laughs> if, from the eye candy standpoint. I feel like there, there was, that was where the Burt Reynolds-ness came across. Because, you know, he got his, you know, one of, aside from being a movie star, one of the things that made him majorly famous was posing totally new. Playgirl, yeah. In Playgirl. Yeah. And I felt like the scenes of Mark Ruffalo in bed yeah. were staged <laughs> to remind us of <laughs> Burt Reynolds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, which is sort of like, you know, I guess like the the shot across the bow of the female gaze fighting back, you know, Mm -hmm. at least as far as culturally, as far as my cultural memory goes. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, I I think that part of the. It's interesting when we sort of dissect it. It's not that the film avoids doing what a male filmmaker would do in the sense of there's erotic nudity and it's not hidden behind it's not hidden in any way. It could yeah. be seen as being exploitative yeah. except that the that the the uh, the camera is so is is sort of equally hungry and nonchalant about both bodies. Yeah, which a, a guy would not do, I don't think. I don't want to <laughs> think did, like let's, or just, most, let's most most I'm sure let's cuz I'm sure that there's a filmmaker out there, yeah. some male filmmaker out there who's like I could do that. I'm not yeah. a pervert like you, Brian. I could actually <laughs> shoot two beautiful people. I don't have to be a woman. I could actually yeah. be just attracted to both of them with my yeah. camera. Andy because... Sedaris did that. He was a director yeah. that filmed both bodies <laughs> equally. So, I'm just just saying, let's on behalf of uh, yeah. the, like the future and... good men who are out there standing yeah. on the shoulders of of greats like Jane Campion. Uh, <laughs> she shows that she she shows the way. And I think a film. I think what you're saying is that the way she does it. Sort of, it does shame a different kind of filmmaker. Yeah, like you know, one of those shitty dudes like Amy Heckerling. Oh, <laughs> <sorry>. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> this is a really sweaty and hot movie too. Like, I think Meg Ryan's character is undressed through most of the movie, or like in her underwear, or just hanging out in like small amount of clothing because it feels like the air conditioning is not working anywhere, and everyone's just kind of sweaty, and it feels like a very like. This is August in New York, and nobody has any good way of cooling off. It's a very sweaty, not as sweaty, like not the sweat, like the sweat meter, not as high not as like the paper boy, boy but <laughs> but but you know, as, as as an urban sweaty movie goes, it's it's a, uh, what do you say? Is it is it a little? Is it is it cooler? It feels like it's just a little bit cooler than Do the Right Thing, but in the <laughs> yeah. same. Like but, it's just yeah. because the, these you, these you people have, are like a little bit wealthier and can have yeah. like air conditioning. Their window but still, u- or their window units a little more functional. In, yeah, but, but it's still a window unit, so it's not perfect. Right, right. Yeah. I'll tell you, it, <laughs> I really get that more from Jennifer Jason Lee's character. She seems like that just the right amount of hot and annoyed, and <laughs> like it's too hot for me to like to suffer fools. 
or have any pretensions. Like uh, you're you're you've talked about being a big uh, Jennifer Jason Lee fan. Yeah. Uh, this is this is seems like some primo. And, JJL. It, and it's a really weird character because you're like, at first you think, are you a stripper? Is that why you're hanging out with all these strippers? They're like, no, you just live above them. But why would you choose to do that? And it's just sort of an odd, like her, yeah, her character is just kind of strange. And and she's definitely yeah, the one pushing Franny to kind of be a little dangerous and be like, yeah, you should date this cop. But who cares if you got a blowjob in the basement? Like, like li- live a little and sadly kind of inevitably leading to her death by pushing this relationship. If she hadn't done it, maybe she would have lived to see another day. Um, yeah. And, and like, I like the scenes of her and Meg Ryan uh, trying to ask about her, their dad. Cause they, they had the same dad, but different moms. And this movie does this weird thing where it cuts to these, this sort of fairy tale th- thought of their dad meeting the mom uh, on like an ice skating yeah, on a frozen lake. And, like, and it looks very much different than the uh, rest of the movie. It's very composed and very dreamy. And it eventually uh, turns into a nightmare scenario at a certain point in the movie. <laughs> but I really like those moments between them where they're just sort of... And it, again, it feels very casual and very real. With like This feels like what kind of half-sisters might talk about when trying to kind of remember or talk about their their parents or whatever. And just their relationship of hanging out in the apartment and just the casualness that they have and comfortable, the, the, the way they're comfortable with each other just feels very, yeah, just real. Um, yeah. And so that, and it makes it all the more upsetting when something really bad happens to Jennifer Jason Lee's character because you, it's not just some nobody that this happens to. Like, it really is shocking. When just she, some nobody. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Your disdain for these strippers is like is really just. <laughs> well, I mean, like a character, terrible. like a character. Like first, of the way. You're like, first, you're like, why would anyone choose to live? Because maybe because living above strippers is fun, you know. I or mean, too loud, male or female. That's a lot of mused loud bass. Um, <laughs> you are like, I. Um, I'm just on behalf of Jennifer Jason Lee's character. She, yeah. She'd be like, you're, you're boring. Come on, that's the most fun. <laughs> You want to well, listen, old man? Get off yeah. my lawn! I I get to go down and and hang out with the with the strippers. <laughs> like that's a, that's a time when you want. It's like it's like at the band. Like the time that it's fun to be with the band is after the show. All day long, everyone's got nerves and the, whatever they're yeah. just dealing like whatever. Then that the show, there's their all their egos are up and they're all the adrenaline and everyone else is around and yeah, here, get me an autograph or whatever. But then afterwards, hanging out. It's same thing with bartenders. Hanging out with bartenders afterwards. Anyone <laughs> who has to deal with showmanship and people, getting to hang out with them after the end of the show is the coolest time. And it's worth putting up with some pumping music. I think it's cool when you're in the mood for it. But like I, in Olympia, lived with a bunch of bartenders who worked at um, the Brotherhood. Oh, and, the Broho. And the Broho, great bar, still there, right? Great place. Yeah. And uh, they would come home at around 3 o'clock because like, they took an hour to clean the clothes shop at 2. And then they would be up till about 6 in the morning. Fun when you're in the mood for that. Not fun when then you have to wake up at 8 in the morning to go to school or to go to your job that's the boring day job. And there was many a time where I'm like, 
I wish these people would die. <laughs> I love them. They're all great friends. I, they're great people. But like well, when you're not in the, when you're not in the, when you're not in the mood to hear drunken antics all night long, then uh, you know then it's not as fun to live near such a, such action. <laughs> okay. Maybe well, I'm just lame. I'm just a total square. That's all why right? I think you, that's... that's why you probably would be more likely to go out with Meg Ryan. And then go out with Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah, I would totally dirty talk with Meg Ryan while I'm trying to work. That's a great. <laughs> um, <laughs> the other uh, complicated character, great performance, is from Sharif Pugh as the student that Meg Ryan has a strange relationship with. Um, I don't remember seeing him. I've never seen him in anything else before. Um have you? According to the uh, to the director's commentary or the the thing that they showed, and this was his, I think his first big thing. Yeah. Uh, and wait, like he's he's since gone on to be in things like Orange Is New Black, and like he's still working. He was in a movie called Good uh, Friday a year ago. Uh, he, he was, was in a, a film called Trigger Happy. That's not our Trigger Happy. <laughs> Uh, he was in the night of the HBO show. Um, so oh, like, the one with uh, John Turturro. That's what I was saying. So he's been great in, show. That was he, great, by the way. Have you seen it? I have not seen. It. I really want to because I love Richard it's, Price. Um, it's awesome. But he's just a lot of TV work. A lot of TV work. Um, but he's really good in this movie, and it's a really odd character, just like everyone else in this movie, because at first you're like. Who's this man she's meeting with at a bar to kind of teach her slang? But then you realize that he's actually a student <laughs> in her high school. <laughs> and then he's obsessed with John Wayne Gacy, which is very odd, like a, a little unhealthily obsessed and kind of defending John Wayne Gacy in, in a few scenes of sort of like, oh, he's misunderstood or, you know, this and that. And then there's a there's an odd scene where she's really drunk in her apartment and he's there and then they kind of start to make out and it starts to become a thing. And then she realizes she doesn't want to and he gets really upset. And that's a very odd, strange scene in the movie. Um, and again, it's just like with everyone else's movie, a very complicated character, but done really well. Like very believable that maybe this guy's got a little bit of mental illness going on. Or maybe this 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 teacher is kind of being, the relationship is weird with him. And he's kind of getting a little nutty just because of the way she's interacting with him. Because it is inappropriate in a way because she's his high school teacher and we don't really understand his age. Not in he... a way. It's it's uh, it's inappropriate. Much, yeah. And yeah. like yeah, very much. Because like, he must it, be at least, you know, 16, 17 if he's in high school, you know, not any older. Maybe 18 if he's a senior. And the film this is one of the things that I feel like the film does a great job at and it gives it that uh that sort of paranoid edge we were discussing is the way it shows the men's reactions the men's reactions to Meg Ryan and Jennifer Jason Lee that those characters don't recognize i the and it's introduced the first time most prominently i feel like is when uh the first time she goes to meet with that character the first time Meg Ryan goes to meet with her with him and she's walking with Jennifer Jason Lee and they show up and Jennifer Jason Lee is like thanks for sharing your bed with me or like there's like 
there's this way that they're just talking very casually yeah. and not thinking about it. And we see his reaction of like, why are you sharing this very, in- like, are you guys lovers? When this is a- like, he's, you can see he's sort of like turning it into porn in his head. <laughs> and this all happens just, this is, it's a great example of show don't tell. And just the way that she's, she manages to pick up that reaction. I'm sure she directed that reaction too. Uh, that's a directed moment. It's not just haphazardly captured. But I feel like throughout the film that that sort of sets up this idea that there are people tracking. You know, I guess that's the, this, the way the film is confronting the male gaze, that mm-hmm. the male gaze is going to keep asserting itself on these women mm-hmm. and they are ignoring it or playing with it or, you know, or running from it at their peril but they can't but it's going to be there regardless yeah (laughs) yeah um and i really like to the constant lighthouse imagery the phallic lighthouse yeah jane campion was a little bit embarrassed she's like that there's a point a little obvious but i liked it uh, was she embarrassed about it on the commentary that it was a little too on the nose? Well, yeah, she uh, said that like the, the the first like after the blowjob scene, the next scene is Meg Ryan in class, and there's just a big on the red chalkboard lighthouse on the chalkboard. <laughs> but then it shows up again as a model on the yeah. desk of Ruffalo's uh, partner, and then the climax itself of the movie is a fight on a lighthouse. So it's like the end of the movie is her literally fighting on a giant cock you know, fighting this horrible man. <laughs> they 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 actually cut out a scene of Dorothy Malone massaging <laughs> the lighthouse and weeping over the death of <laughs> her son, the cop. <laughs> so if you got that reference. Uh, oh. A little a little written on the wind reference for, for yeah, you out there. Yeah. Uh I, I love uh, I love a good uh forced uh, you know, in your face, phallic, not even a symbol. Cause it's just right there. It's like, right. it's not, it is, it is just a dick. Um, but <laughs> I appreciated that. Um, <laughs> hi, I'm Brian. And I'm AJ. And we have a podcast called the director's wall. Examining a filmmaker's career, film by film. First up was M night Shyamalan Ben Francis Ford Coppola. Who's next? Is there anything to this whole auteur theory? Find out on The Director's Wall. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or your preferred listening platform. Have you ever thought about being a sex worker? Or robbing a bank? Or maybe you're bored and thinking of climbing Mount Everest on a whim. If you've got a bad idea, we've got good advice from the people who've been there. Hi, I'm Marty Caproni. And I'm Joe Garrix. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Good Advice for Bad Ideas, right here on the Paperhouse Podcast Network. It will be interesting. We promise. Dear listener, if you are just discovering our podcast, you can find all of our episodes on our website at theworldiswrongpodcast.com. You can also write to us at contact at theworldiswrongpodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at theworldiswrongpodcast. And now, back to the show. Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about, you know, just kind of your journey through Jane Campion movies, because you've seen more than me now. Uh, I've seen the piano. I've seen sort of like the greatest hits. I've seen the piano, um, you know, and 
uh, I've seen Portrait of a Lady, I think, but a long time ago. I've seen some of the early stuff, like Two Friends. But you kind of went, like, I haven't even seen Power of the Dog yet. So I'm just kind of curious as sort of like your take on, like, what is your take on Campion? Having done a deep dive. Like, uh, well, my take on, on Campion. Honestly, she's good, but not for me. Uh, okay. And and that doesn't mean that I didn't get a lot out of these, but I would say almost all of her films are a tough watch for me. Yeah. Uh, Martin Scorsese, I'd say the same thing about all of his films are a tough watch for me. There are uh, one of the things that I love about films is there can be a director who you really like and what they're interested in is, what they're interested in is something that you're not that interested in, mm-hmm. but because they're interested in it, Alfred Hitchcock, I now am interested in murder yeah. or Martin Scorsese. I am now interested in caring about the inner lives of gangsters. <laughs> and with Jane Campion, I am now interested in the lives of, difficult women struggling with terrible systems and uh, horrible men with whom they are either stuck out of societal prejudice or out of sympathy. Mm -hmm. And there's just a pace. There's an energy. There's a to Campion's work uh, that is it's an uncomfortable place to go and be. Uh, oddly, I felt like in Top of the Lake, that's probably my favorite thing. And it might just be that that energy works for me better over a lot lo- like a lot with a larger palette. Hmm. And when she's having to make a 90 minute movie, she's cranking it up as much as Tarantino cr- cranks up <laughs> his his violence. Like yeah. that the overwrought misery of so many of her characters is just uh Maybe it's even e- it was easier to do to just take it all like just watch just go okay I'm gonna watch Holy Sm- like in the last forty eight hours I've watched Holy Smoke Bright Star and Portrait of a Lady uh, and I think maybe all three of them together were easier than watching any one of them on their own. <laughs> huh. I really my favorite maybe it's just the last one I watched but I I. The Portrait of a Lady is a pretty phenomenal film. Um, but maybe that's maybe there's something about me that makes that easy like an easier one to watch and maybe it's, so it's not as good or as strong. Yeah. To give just to give people the the rundown, Sweetie was from 1989. I still need to see that. That's the one that put her on the map. Then 1990 is An Angel at My Table, which I didn't see, haven't seen either. Then The Piano, which won the Academy Award. And for, did, was that Best Picture? No, I think it just got a uh, supporting actress. No, no, the got, main actress. Actri- and it got actress. Holly Hunter got actress. Like, I think it got, I don't think it won any, like, it didn't win Best Picture. Because that was yeah, the Yeah, it won year. Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, and Best Screenplay. Yeah. And the piano is 
a like it's just, to my memory of it is it's such a brutal film like it i it lives in the place that like uh schindler's list lives for me same like year. i survived the piano <laughs> 93 uh, yeah it was it was tough on people i guess and then just the por- the portrait of a lady is just a just a really i don't i really i really enjoyed it a lot the cast is phenomenal uh well i don't want to say i've enjoyed it uh, it's it it's like maybe like the better version of Dangerous Liaisons, hmm. uh, both in which both films John Malkovich is set about destroying a woman that we have a lot of sympathy for. So if you're into that sort of thing, <laughs> that genre, that's, that's the it's genre. a double feature to just. <laughs> but uh, I think there it might be an interesting comparison. To like from if we are going to look at it as a binary, you know, like male film filmmaker, female filmmaker, if you look at those two films and where their sympathies lay, uh, and why, you know, you could maybe see how the portrait of a lady is almost a response to dangerous liaisons, hmm. uh, and I think, and as someone who likes the first, like dangerous, likes dangerous liaisons or. Uh, generally thinks that he likes Dangerous Liaisons, I think this is a much better movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely a much better movie. And then Holy Smoke, which you have seen, so now you can talk a little bit about that. <laughs> have I seen that movie? I don't know if I have or just read a oh, lot about it. Oh, I thought it. you said. No, okay. I, I just know a lot about all the tough stuff in that movie, and I read so much about it that I can't remember if I was like, I don't think I can see that movie, or if I saw it and just kind of pushed it out. Because I was upset. Like I remember. Really? I yeah. Don't know I don't so, know if so I don't upsetting. think. I just remember the the just the relationship between Harvey Keitel um, and Kate Winslet being again very complicated, and just reading about reading about it. Well, seemed, I'll tell you the. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you. So the it's the I don't story. Think I've seen so it. Kate Winslet plays a woman from. It's it seems like this is the most Australian of Jane Campion's films that I've seen. Again, I haven't seen Sweetie or An Angel at My Table, but certainly more than The Piano or The Portrait of a Lady. And it's a modern story. Kate Winslet plays a woman who goes to India and falls in with, it seems like some sort of tantric love cult and is devoting her life to this Indian master and her family gets her to come home by telling her that her father is dying. And then she gets there and they, when she gets there, she finds that they've hired Harvey Keitel, who's this great cult deprogrammer. Yeah. And uh, he doesn't seem like he's a very great cult deprogrammer because in the, it seems like pretty early in the film, his integrity is totally off and he's very, he's very quick to fall in with uh, fall in love with Kate Winslet's character. Um, I felt like this was the film that I had the hardest time understanding, but maybe it's an Aussie <laughs> thing. Maybe it's an Australian <laughs> thing. And I, you know, uh, I, there are some, there's some beautiful images and I feel like there is, there is something that is, uh, who's the, who's the English director we did, all the we did a whole thing on Stephen Frears. Uh, Stephen Frears. There's something that reminds me of the Stephen Frears stuff with Colmini. 
Okay. Like those kind like it's that kind of a film huh. with this odd take on it, which is that the daughter well, it's like in in that in like the snapper, the daughter is pregnant. In this one, the daughter has joined a Indian tantric cult. <laughs> and in that one she's has an inappropriate relationship with a neighbor, and in this one, Kate Winslet has an inappropriate relationship with Harvey Keitel that's that kind of breaks and unmasks him mm. and i think there's definitely something to it and yeah. it might be a welcome break in the world of uh in the world of jane campion i'll be honest i'm i like harvey Keitel, but i don't i there aren't many films where he's the lead that i like Harvey, I like Harvey Keitel as part of a movie more than as the lead in a movie. So I maybe if it was a if it was a different char- if it was a different actor, I might be more inclined to buy the film. Huh. Then we get to in the cut, which we've dissected to a certain degree here, and then and this then she has she decides to Jane Campion makes many many fewer movies uh that in the cut is 2003 then it's six years before her next film and it's bright star the story of the love affair between the poet john keats and fanny braun uh going back to us this sort of a similar world as port the portrait of a lady uh a, a literary uh, sort of period piece. And this is just a very, very deeply felt romantic movie with Ben Wishaw and Abby Cornish. And I guess it could feel kind of slight unless you were, I think if I was a young romantic person, watch like in there there have been when i was a younger more romantic person i feel like the film might have spoken to me to me even more but very good um very good jane campion's shaking her head very good is not of an opinion <laughs> Mr. Jones. but i think maybe you had the same opinion jane because then you just decided i'm not going to make any more movies for 13 years 2009 to 2021, and then we get to The Power of the Dog, which, of course, is her Oscar-nominated film and probably, oh, I don't want to say probably, but the favorite to win the Academy Award for Best Picture and probably Best Director. Yeah. And considering the ones that are nominated that I've seen, I would... (laughs) You I want would have to, to agree. It's <laughs> why, a why very, you, very well-made movie. You, yeah, why do you think everyone's all behind that movie? Like, that is definitely the movie that is the favorite of pretty much everybody in terms of the list of movies that everyone's like, yep, she'll win director. Yep, this will win best picture. Like, what do you think is about that movie? I haven't seen it. But what is it, that, that movie that people are attaching to, that like that they're so into with it, other than it's just good? Or is it just, or is it just not the obvious sort of Oscar good? So it's like, oh, this no, no, no. Like, I, I, it is, it is a genuinely masterful film. All of, like, 
Okay, going back, looking at all of these other films, well, particularly thinking about In the Cut and Holy Smoke, I would say, that they are films that are just sort of kind of spilling out over the edges. Yeah. And you could even say that The Piano and The Portrait of a Lady are a filmmaker trying to prove themselves, that they can that they can do there's a different kind of masterful when you're trying to show how good you are mm-hmm. and when you just know how good you are yeah and i feel like that's the difference between the piano and the power of the dog and and the difference between the power of the dog and most movies is vast it is one that in that sort of pure cinema, Kubrickian, Hitchcockian kind of way, is just a masterful magic trick of a movie. This is the way I will describe this movie, and this is both a, a, a praise for it and a condemnation of Oscars and the kind of films that win Oscars. The Power of the Dog is a movie that you have to watch the second to- a second time because it's the only way to really make sense of what just happened to you, <laughs> what what the film just did to you. And you will never watch it again after that, unless you're part, <laughs> like it is, it's not, I don't think it's a happy place to be. You know, you, again, if you decide to do your own Benedict Cumberbatch film festival, then of course you're going to show this. It's a great performance from him. The great performance is all through. But compared to some other films like that we that we love from this year, like Annette and, and other ones like that, it which I will I could see myself going back to many many times, tends to be like you know I haven't gone back to Chariots of Fire many you know many times either, <laughs> and I really liked that movie when it came out, and I think that that's so that as to why Power of the Dog is going to win, it has that going for it. It also has the the snub factor, like she. I'm remembering won. her yeah. as like she should have won for the piano and like she just checks off all the boxes and mm. the film is that good. It's it is. If she wins for this, then she is going to win for the one she should win for in her catalog. It's not like this is like a reward for the portrait of a lady. Yeah, yeah. In a way, this is the reward for those whatever she did during those 13 years to become so deeply confident in her craft that she could do something so perfect and so (laughs) effortless. I love it when a director gets to that place. It's always very exciting. Like I, I felt that again with Tarantino, like watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I'm like, he just makes it look so easy, but you know it's not. But this is like a perfect movie. Or watching, uh, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson movie. You know, like, it's just like like the Phantom Thread. Which is like, on paper, it shouldn't be some great movie. But you're like, this is so masterful. This is someone who is so confident and knows exactly what they're doing. And it's just giving us great cinema. Yeah. It, I'm, I'm excited to watch Power of the Dog. I really am. As in, which is weird, because usually movies up for Oscars turn me off and i have no excitement to watch it but i'm excited for this one yeah very unique in her catalog as well it, it has all it has all of the themes but the focus she just yeah it, it is a it is this other level of of filmmaking which is it was just great and we i did we i sort of 
hinted at it, but Top of the Lake as a series, both seasons are great. The first season is, it's definitely my favorite thing that she's done. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's, it balances this pretty intense murder mystery wrapped around a very conflicted and maybe more like one of the first Elizabeth Moss performances that really made me see what I, you know, probably what other people had seen before. Yeah. And then this odd comedy that is sort of even cowgirls get the bluesy in, in the sense <laughs> of this separatist women's community with Holly Hunter as their leader. And you put all those three things together and it just makes for a, just a really, really excellent series. And then in the, the second season, Nicole Kidman joins the cast wow. as a very sort of uh, ugly and unpleasant woman who just getting to see Elizabeth Moss and Nicole Kidman play off each other for Jane Campion. It's yeah. Just just describing it makes me want to go back and, and watch it Uh, again. Top of the Lake China girl. So yeah, those are two really, really great. I mean, that that's what she was doing in that time between bright star and the power of the dog. And Certainly, it's that's that's that that ain't nothing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, great. So. Well, I hope she wins. I think that would be really exciting. I'm excited, looking forward to watching at least that part of the Oscars, and maybe only that part of the Oscars. <laughs> I'm still I'm still hoping that like somewhere in the middle, like they someone just breaks down like Elvis Costello about to do. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! No, no, it's a no, net. No, no, no. It's a it net. It doesn't make any sense to do this song to have these nominees <laughs> this here. This is the movie. These are the real nominees. Yeah, that'd be great if they just did that. They're like, this is actually what was actually nominated. We punked yours. It's fake. This is a jackass skit. This is uh, this isn't real. Here are the other movies. Well, that that'll be our Oscars. That'll we'll, we'll be the Kool Aid guy busting through. Oh, the and wall. it would be, it, and it should be, and it should be Lady Gaga who does it. Like she comes out with a guitar, <laughs> like just, with Elvis Costello's yeah. glasses. But <laughs> stop, stop, stop! Yeah, <laughs> I would like that. I'm I, a gonna get this award. <laughs> she didn't talk like that. <laughs> That's racist, my people. What are you doing, Jared Leto over here? Um. <clears throat> no, no, Jared, but, Jared, Jared Leto is. Have you seen it yet? No. Oh, you got to see it. All right. Oh, <laughs> see. Oh. This sounds like you're doing Chef Boyardee or something. Um, <laughs> Very sad, Chef Boyardee. The saddest Chef Boyardee. Uh, well, great. I'm. I'm glad Chef that you. Chef Boy, am I sad? <laughs> I'm that's glad like to the, have done. That's like the Mad Magazine. Version, I'm glad so. to have done in the cut. Uh, I'm looking forward to now doing the Oscars. I think I'm ready to take a break from intense uh, sexual dramas. <laughs> but not before we have our guest host. Yes. Who's going to yes. join us. Very exciting for this next episode. Uh, do you want to introduce her to our audience? Get get people prepared for... Because you, you invited her. We'll be talking, but... Uh... Uh, yeah. Yeah. So um, our next guest is a woman that... Uh, oh, hold on. I unplugged my headphones. I got too I got too excited. Uh, yeah, so our next guest is someone I've known for quite a while, someone that I worked with at Vulcan for uh, for a long time, 
and uh, she's uh, been nice. And I work with her at AFS. She is one of the head programmers there. Uh, her name is Jasmine Moreno. She's great. Uh, she has a very unique uh, point of view of movies. Like she'll like things that she's definitely going to be part of our family. I think she likes movies that people hate. She'll show movies and champion movies that people will scratch their heads at and be like, what? But she hopefully like us too, is really great at convincing people to get on her side, uh, to champion these movies that aren't necessarily championed all the time. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear your conversation. Well, yeah, we're going to be talking about a film that I don't think it's going to take a lot to convince you to want to see. It is the film Foxfire from 1996, a film I hadn't heard of at all, based upon a Joyce Carol Oates novel, Foxfire, Confessions of a Girl Gang. (laughs) And it features a young and more charismatic than anyone deserves to be Angelina Jolie as sort of the James Dean character leading a gang of uh, otherwise pretty, you know, generally good students, young, you know, young, upstanding women who are being uh, preyed upon by a bad teacher played by John Deal. And uh, one of those students (laughs) is Jenny Lewis in one of her very rare film performances. We are cornering the market on Jenny Lewis performances on this podcast. And it's it's great. It's a really, uh, I can't wait to talk. I cannot wait to talk to Jasmine about it because this is a very exciting film. And it's interesting that we, without thinking about it, programmed three movies in a row about teachers and weird sexual situations. We didn't mean this triple feature to happen, but that's what's going on. <laughs> the world is wrong this month. <laughs> Uh, mm. Yeah, sometimes uh, the, the stars are aligning in a strange way for us. But uh, yeah, who knows what, what why? Yeah, but, uh, yeah. So yeah, I'm pumped. I'm excited. Fantastic. Yeah, well, you're not. Yeah, yeah. You're, well, you're going to hear how it all goes. You, you're just you're throwing me and Jasmine together. Yeah, I talk to her about movies every day, so fly. I'm taking a break, and now it's your turn. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, also, should say that Foxfire was directed by Annette Haywood Carter and written by Elizabeth White. So, cool. Uh, and edited by Louise Inns. So the 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 creative team. No dudes, as far as oh. I know, as far as as far as we can tell. Good. So good. So good. Good on you, Jasmine. For, for busting up this sausage fest and bringing a totally different take on the over-sexualized teacher. So get excited. You can find that streaming. I, I found it on Vudu. Um, so you maybe you can find it there as well. And if you, if you dig this podcast, which why would you be listening at this point if you didn't? <laughs> Why don't you, how about you, you get in touch with us? Let us know. You can send us an email at contact at the world is wrong podcast.com. That's uh, the world is wrong podcast.com is our website. There's a page devoted to every one of our episodes there. So you can find out information about them. And, oh, my downstairs neighbors are cooking something really good. <laughs> It just like came wafting up through the floor, like something like some really good pasta, tomato sauce, something. 
Mm, okay, focus. sorry. Hey, Andres, focus, focus. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, we've been going a long time here. This is our third at well, recording it, of the day. But uh, so if you you can find us, send us pictures of your food, and you'll see you'll get this exact same kind of reaction. To uh, find us on our Instagram at the World Is Wrong podcast, you can find us on Twitter uh, at World Is Wrong Pod, and. Yeah, just let us let us know that you like the show, and if you don't like it, let us know too. We just, you know, tell us, give us, give us constructive criticism. We love we can, it. We we can always do better. Yeah, and uh, certainly, I think we both live our lives that way. We're just constantly mm-hmm. criticizing ourselves in the hope <laughs> it will make us better and not worse. So yeah, so thanks for for introducing me to in the cut and convincing me to fill out a big blind spot in my uh, film knowledge and until next time especially if you are a character living in a jane campion film but this is probably true of all of us wherever you are the world is wrong and it's probably wrong about you want to take a sleeping pill two in fact do you want one no Fucking noisy, I can't sleep. I have to move. I mean, clearly, I've got to move. Why don't you see him again? You're brave in so many ways. I mean, you're thinking about him, right? About sex. So? You wouldn't be thinking about the sex if you didn't like him. At least call him. He doesn't know where you are. I go to court tomorrow. Because of the tan suit. They're trying to get a restraining order against me. Probably won't be allowed within 500 miles of Dr. Katz's office. Yeah, laugh it up. You know what I'm thinking? What to wear? <laughs> no, I'm imagining that when he sees me, he's gonna realize that he's in love with me. And, you know, one thing will lead to another, and after a love child or two, we'll get married. Have I ever told you how our father proposed to my mother? No. Tell me. Well, When he was very young, he was very handsome and an excellent skater. And she was the new girl in town, barely able to skate. She was very, very innocent, very beautiful, of course. And he was already engaged, but he couldn't stop watching my mother. This is my son. Fiance got very jealous and I would too. <laughs> and threw that engagement ring right back at him. Good. And that very same day, he took my mother by the hand. He danced her out to the middle forest fringed lake. He got down on one knee and offered her the very same engagement ring. Oh, that's nice. Mm-hmm. 
And at that precise moment, which is the thing that my mother always added, it started to snow. Mm, it's very romantic. I don't quite believe it. But it's my mother's story. It's the way she always told it, you know. I killed her. When he left, she just went crazy with grief, you know? She didn't understand it. She just couldn't believe it. How many times has Dad been married? Four. Four? Never married my mother. Yeah, he's already plotting the fifth. get married once just for my mom is a husband too much for me to ask for probably cut her head off. Mm. That's sad. Radio 8 Ball. Andras here. When I'm not co-hosting the World is Wrong podcast, I'm hosting and producing the Radio 8-Ball podcast, where we answer questions by picking songs at random, like picking musical tarot cards. We've hosted musical divinations for people like John C. Riley, Patricia Arquette, Tig Notaro, and Fred Armisen, and hosted over 200 songwriters providing the randomly chosen answers, from Inara George and Dan Byrne to Mose Allison and Alan Toussaint. That's Radio 8-Ball, all one word. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and download our app from the iTunes App Store. Show.